<clears throat> Technology malfunction. It was so easy in the old days when we didn't have such pleasures, wasn't it? As we continue our series on holiness, may the words I speak prompt in your hearts and minds the messages God wants you to hear. Amen. In her sermon last Sunday, Katie spoke to us about being made holy as individuals and as a community. She broke this down into three areas. Firstly, being consecrated, set aside as children of God from the time that we commit to Christ. Secondly, what she termed progressive sanctification, being a walking temple, living individually and together as a holy people, learning, making mistakes, but loved and accepted by God and open to the workings of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, eternal sanctification, when we finally meet God face to face. This morning I'd like to spend some time thinking about the middle bit, the continuing journey as we move forward from our initial commitment to Christ and learn to live holy, set-apart lives. Travelling through this world towards our goal of being together with God in eternity. All journeys have a beginning and an end. Most of us here this morning will have been travelling with Christ for a long time. Others may be earlier on in their journeys. As we proceed on our journey of holiness, it would be good to take stock and understand where we are now in relation to God. As individuals, as part of the church community, as travellers with other followers of Christ. We need also to be sure that we know where we're going. When we plan a physical journey, we consult maps, or these days we Google. We look at different ways of reaching our destination and consider what reference points we might need along the way. Will we take the fast direct route, or will we take things at a steadier pace, enjoying the surroundings as we go? Will we want to have some stops along the way? Will we need nourishment for the journey? Our journey with Christ is also likely to have times of progress, times of thinking and meditation, times of refreshment and renewal, times when God may seem distant, exciting times and just plodding on times. For some people going on a journey of any sort, any sort of change and progress are eagerly approached, whereas for some of us journeys can be more difficult. Changes involving different ways of being church can cause anxiety and a feeling of loss. Nevertheless, God calls us to this journey and promises to be with each of us as we journey on in his love and encouragement. Going back in the Bible to the time of the Exodus, when the Israelites had escaped from slavery in Egypt and arrived in the desert, God tells Moses to give this message to them. Remember what I have already done for you. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be to me a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. God gave these disoriented, weary travellers a vision of where they were going. He set them apart as his special people, his holy people. Yes, there will be many twists and turns along the way, but their goal was set. The Israelites were called by God to be a holy people. 
Later in the Bible, there are further iterations of this theme of being called by God. For instance, in Ephesians 4, we read, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. As present-day followers of Christ, we too are called by God, And God has a different calling for each of us. We are each a different and unique part of the body of Christ. And together with others, we work towards the perfect functioning of that body. In order to fulfill this God-given ministry, it is important that we grasp a vision of where we are going as followers of Christ. What are our priorities? As followers of Christ, we should be able to make the assumption that reaching eternal life when we meet God face to face is our end goal. But what for each of us will be the key points along the way? As a church, we have our vision statement, a community of disciples seeking to witness to Jesus and serve him in West Bridgeford and beyond. A community of disciples seeking to witness to Jesus and serve him. If we are to achieve this, our priority is to put God first and foremost and to fix our eyes on his direction. I'm not a a sporty person at all and I don't know whether this is common practice or not, but if my grandson is going to throw a ball, what he does first is to point his other hand in the direction he wants it to go and he then lobs it in that direction. Perhaps we need to be doing this sort of practice with our lives, setting our sights on Jesus and directing all our effort and action towards his direction. We don't only need to be sure of where to look, but we also need to be clear about what we are looking for. When Robert and I are out for a walk, I may point out something and say, just look at that. The difficulty can be that whereas I might be seeing a beautiful sunset, he sees a dark cloud on the horizon. Sorry, Robert. (laughs) As individuals within our community, we need to be sure of what we're seeing, what we're aiming for as we follow Jesus. What is God's vision for this journey and what is ours? The two have to be aligned in order for us to travel in the right direction. No doubt, like the Israelites and like God's people throughout the ages, there will be times when we get distracted and times when we go off course. But we've set the compass for our lives and with regular checking, our hope and belief is that the compass will eventually allow us to reach our goal. So we have a goal, a vision of our lives with Jesus. Let's look now at those things that will help us as we progress in this journey of holiness What will be our signposts, our guides along the way? In our gospel reading this morning, we heard about the angel Gabriel coming to Mary with the news that she was to bear the Christ child. This reading tells us about Mary's reaction to the news and gives us some insights into what we can learn from her. Mary's first reaction was, how can this be? She was taken by surprise She couldn't believe what was happening, but nevertheless, she was open to the message. She listened to the angel. She took in what he was saying to her. I wonder how we might have heard that message from God had we been there. 
and how we hear his messages in our lives today. For Mary, the angel Gabriel was the means God used to deliver the message. But God can and does speak to us, speak to his people in many different ways. He speaks to us through his word in the Bible, through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, in the teachings we receive in church and other places, in discussions with fellow Christians, for instance, in our home groups. God speaks to us in our everyday lives, sometimes through the words of other Christians, but not always. Sometimes he actually speaks to us directly, one-to-one. And as he speaks to us, he encourages us to see the opportunities to follow him and to love and serve others. Are we open to these signs and messages? Do we listen? Do we take in and act on such promptings, just like Mary did? Surely this is something we should take seriously as our journey in holiness progresses. Mary's first reaction was one of shock, but this was quickly followed by her submission and obedience to God's will. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said come true. Mary had received a message from God Almighty. Although she questioned how this message could become true, she did not question God's will. Despite the shock, despite the enormity of the situation she was facing, she trusted God. And by the time she met her cousin Elizabeth, she overflowed with an outpouring of joy and thankfulness as she praised and worshipped God. We didn't go on in our reading to the next part, which is Mary's song, The Magnificat, but we actually sang it as our first hymn this morning. I managed to get it in somehow. Are we, like Mary, obedient to God's call upon our lives? Do we respond with trust, with thanks and praise and wonder at the things God does for us? Do we submit to Christ as Lord, as the creator of the universe, as someone so wonderful as to be beyond our comprehension? Christ is Lord God Almighty, King of heaven, and yet down to earth in his love and care for us. How can we learn to trust him? How can we prioritize our lives so that we can enjoy this special relationship with God as an everyday experience? Christian Christian writer Francis Chan puts it this way. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we'd be in trouble if he didn't come through. Another Christian writer, Alistair Begg, writes this. Follow boldly in the master's steps, for he has made this rough journey before you. Better a brief warfare and eternal rest than false peace and everlasting torment. Our life with Christ is not necessarily a smooth one, but the end goal, eternal life, makes the effort and the sacrifices along the way worthwhile. However, in order to cope with whatever we are called to face as maturing followers of Christ, we need to be firmly rooted in Jesus, utterly committed to him, both as individuals and in our communities. God doesn't call us to be Sunday Christians, but calls us to be disciples. He doesn't call us to be lone rangers, operating as individuals, but to serve in fellowship with others. 
where God calls, he provides. But this holy, set-apart, God-centered life that he calls us to needs to be nurtured. And we do this by sharing together in words and sacrament as we praise and worship God. Worship gives us a structure for our lives. Worship feeds our need to be in relationship with God. Worship centers our attention on God and his will. Worship allows us a glimpse of God's glory and the glory that has to come for us. Worship reinforces our journey together towards our goal. When we worship God, our minds are informed, our memories refreshed. We're reminded about God's word and of his will for our lives, the way he is working out our salvation. In worship, we are part of a group of fellow travellers where we share with others. As we relate to God and to others, we are taken outside of our own little world and brought face to face with the bigger picture, God's bigger picture. When we sin and mess up our lives, God does not abandon us, but enters into our difficulties. As we turn to him, he gives us the strength and motivation to keep pressing forward in our journey. The basic conviction of the Christian is that God intends good for us and that he will get his way in us. He does not treat us according to our deserts, but according to his plan. He's not a police officer on patrol, but rather a potter working with clay, working clay with his hands. He takes the raw clay of our lives and guides us towards a deeper relationship with him. He accepts us as we are and gradually leads and moulds us to be more like him as we grow in holiness. Here's how Paul expresses the idea in Romans 12 as translated in the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Jesus calls us to be faithful. He calls us to trust him. We don't always need to get it right, but we do need to try. God is interested overwhelmingly in our character, in our faithfulness in following his instructions, and not just in our competence. We don't have to be super able, clever, successful, sophisticated. We don't need to compare ourselves with others. We just have to do our best in our own way as Christ appoints us and as we work in harmony with others, supporting them as they develop and use their own gifts. Again, from Mr. Ephesians, Paul, and again from the message translation. This is what Paul says. In the light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here as a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. 
I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one faith, one master, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. The one thing we can all expect when we, when we follow God is to expect the unexpected. God's journey, our journey to holiness, is not just a continuation of what has always been, but a constantly evolving and changing one. What makes sense to God is often absurd in human terms. In his book entitled 500, Are We at the Dawn of a New Era of Glory?, Jared Cooper has posited a theory that every 500 years or so, God makes some radical change in the way he interacts with us. Every five centuries or so, God's purposes on earth seem to bring us into a new age, gradually making historical adjustments that lead towards his purpose for humanity. If we track back in time about 4,000 years ago, 2000 BC, God began to interact with Abraham, Jump forward about 500 years and we come to the time of Moses, another pivotal friend of God. 500 years later again, around 1,000 years BC, we come to the time of David, a major figure in the development of the history of God's chosen people, who even though he failed morally, was significant enough that Jesus was called a son of David. All of these were pivotal times in the development of the Israelite race. All of these men were flawed human beings, but God was able to use them with great power. There were times when the Israelites followed God faithfully and times when they were really foolish, but they were still God's people, his race set apart. Move forward another five years from the time of David in about 500 BC, and things had really taken a turn for the worst. The nation was in turmoil. The children, children of Israel were in exile. Jerusalem had been ransacked. The temple was destroyed and then rebuilt. And for all this era, God seemed to be silent. Then comes the greatest watershed in world history, 500 years later, the time when Jesus was born, lived, died, and was resurrected. It should not be remarkable, but it is the paradoxical truth that the whole world is ticking to God's time. The era beginning with the birth of Christ, whether we're politically correct and call it the common era, or whether we give it the name which has meaning, AD, Anno Domino, the year of our Lord, it still comes to the same thing. Whatever religion people hold to, whatever so-called gods they follow or don't follow, the result is the same thing. The absurdity of a young, innocent peasant girl from a lowly family delivering the Son of God into an unsuspecting world and forever the rest of the world counting their years from this very event is simply mind-blowing. This was such a momentous event that it split history in two. The Old Testament and the New, the rule of law and the era of grace, 
the death and resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Spirit, an astonishing end and a startling new beginning. To continue our timeline, about 500 years after Christ's earthly life, when the Roman Empire was in decline, the Dark Ages began, a dark time both morally and spiritually. This was followed in 1054, 500 years later, by what is known as the Great Schism, the separation of the Orthodox and Catholic churches. 500 years after the Great Schism came the Reformation, led by Martin Luther, when attempts were made to overcome the corrupt political target, sorry, when attempts were made to overcome the corrupt political power games that characterized the church. Martin Luther was a man of faith who stood for the authority of the scripture and the doctrine of salvation by grace. The shockwaves that resulted from the Reformation, which his action initiated, have brought about considerable change through the church and brought back a renewed authenticity and integrity to our understanding of God's purposes. During the last 500 years since the Reformation, the church has gradually been becoming more Christ-centered again, returning to its roots of love, grace and service. There have clearly been dark times in this era, but there have also been powerful preachers and light and campaigners and activists such as Wesley, Calvin, Fox and others who have built on Luther's work. As we came to the end of the second millennium, the Holy Spirit began to move again in ways that had not been seen since the early church. In recent times, there's been a resurgence of healing miracles. I remember as a teenager in the 60s going to a home group where I first experienced hearing someone speaking in tongues. Once again, at the beginning of this new millennium, there is the possibility of a renewed sense of hope and restored strength in the church. In pockets all over the world, there is a tangible sense of God's presence. It seems that gradually, over the last 500 years, God has been rebuilding his church. Is God ushering in a new age? In the year 2018, we might think that we're well into the new millennium. But if we think in terms of the coming 500 years, we're just on the brink. What will the church look like as we go forward? Our reading from Paul's letter to Titus gives us some clues. When God our Saviour revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Saviour. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. We live in exciting times. What will the God of the unexpected pour forth on us as we move forward in our journey of holiness? Who will be the leaders and thinkers and prophets of this generation? How will the church change to bring us nearer to God's plan? What does the future of God's people look like? Are we ready to move forward in hope and action? Peter Watkins will pick up on the holiness journey in a fortnight. So let us pray. As we travel with God, let us not look back at how things used to be, but keep our eyes and minds open to to new possibilities. Let us pray that God will fill our hearts with his redeeming love. 
Let us pray that we will be ready to join, to join the journeying throng, wherever that may lead us. Let us pray for the furtherance of God's kingdom here on earth, in whatever way God chooses to bring it about. Let us pray for God's help, support and guidance on us individually and communally as we take up Christ's challenge to pursue our journey to holiness. Amen.